Horrible. Hideous. Oh my God! Couldn't somebody have given me a comb? Jesus. Arkham resident Nathan Gardner, who claims that an unidentified flying object landed in his UFO witness. You said UFO. I didn't say UFO. Oh, for fuck's sake, Teresa! Can you get out of here, please? Yeah, I think the freaked out abductee looks at you pretty well. Mr. Gardner, were you sober at the time that this event happened? Uh, well, I mean, I like a bit of bourbon. Um, uh, it comes out of Texas. <laughs> well, for fuck's sake. I was, I was, I was not, the night before I had a few drinks, but I wasn't. I was, I was sober when I came out. Oh, man. Jack, go get your mother. Welcome to part two of our Color Out of Space episode. But before we go into real talk, it's time for PP. That's our patron pitch. This is where we let our patrons know what they can expect on their exclusive patron feed. And we also let non-patrons know what they're missing out on. So we're going to start, as usual, on the ground floor with the, the $1 tier, the Travoltis. Uh, you're going to get our cutting room floor stuff. Uh, there was a lot of stuff. Well, actually, there was a big chunk of conversation that didn't make it to our Dolomite is my name episode, Alex, because there was no way that that we could put just a fraction of it. So what ended up happening is like there's 30 minutes of that episode, the real talk, <laughs> that uh, that's just going to the cutting room floor segment because it, it kind of stands on its own. But uh, funnily enough, it ties into our conversation about Dolomite, the movie, which is also available to uh, Travolti's uh, patrons. So you're going to have access to that uh, in a few days. Uh, well, as as of by the time that this episode drops, it might already be there. But it's the the current roof floor stuff that didn't make it to the to the Dolomite is my episode, and then our review of the original Dolomite movie, as requested by patron Dan Brennick, who uh, just wanted to hit us with that one two punch. So you can look forward to that on your feed, along with part two of Lohan. It's already there. Saturday Night Live, that '70s show, King of the Hill, more Saturday Night Live. Her music career, we we're going everywhere with Lindsay Lohan just in preparation for brushes uh, with the law. Brushes with the law. Well, I was trying to keep it light, but yes, that too. <laughs> when I was editing that, there's a part in that when I, you know, the resources and shit that we use, um, the information we've acquired. I forget. It's like I think the CNN article or something I read, and I'm, it's just quiet, and you just go, Jesus, <laughs> and then it's it's quiet again. <laughs> Uh, yes, and that that summarizes also my reaction to the three movies that we're going to be covering in Lohan Part 3, uh, which we'll be recording uh, in a couple days. So be ready for that as well. Alex, uh, how are you feeling? You, you still haven't seen any of them. So do you do you have an inkling of which one is going to be your favorite? Uh, Chapter 27, Labor Pains, or The Canyons? No, probably not The Canyons because there's some shit about that that's it, it, imagine things getting darker than they got on part two, Julio, because that's what's going to happen. Um, I don't, I've wanted for so long to bring chapter 27 to Contrarian's canon, so I'm just really excited about that. Uh, not necessarily for Lohan, as I've always said. It's just I've I've waited many, many years to watch this movie for because um, I've heard such legendary things about Jared Leto's performance in, a, in, in no particularly good way. But I, I love doing this shit, like the Rock Cena miniseries we had. I, I love kind of having a more long form, uh, independently researched in the sense of I kind of do a lot of the the um, 
the paperwork as it were for it and then kind of get your responses to everything. It's definitely, you know, it's not something we could do regularly because uh, they are taxing the recordings and also the research we do for these. But every once in a while, man, we're going to have to set like um, a goal for our patron. Like we'll need to figure out a topic when we're done with Lohan and then say once we get to X amount of patrons, you know, this will be our next deep dive. That sounds like a plan. But in the meantime, Lohan is there. Lohan is there. The Roxena mega series is there. There's plenty. Uh, going back to our first bonus episode, Blue's Warmest Color, as I always cite. And yeah, all the cutting room floor shit and just random conversations we've had that <laughs> will sometimes be, you know, five minutes or 30, depending on, you know, the <laughs> subjects that we're covering. And a lot of times that cutting room floor shit is like when you and I just get like deep into discussion, sometimes, you know, to even like a philosophical level. That when we edit the episodes, we're like, yeah, this isn't really funny. It doesn't really fit in with what the you know, the episode is. So let's just. This is nothing to do with Eddie Murphy. <laughs> let's put this behind a paywall to see, you know, make sure people don't think we're psychotic or something. <laughs> uh, now, uh, if you're on the right side of that paywall and you want to move up a level uh, to the Winonis and upwards, uh, you also get our pre recording notes, you get our quick video reviews. We are also scheduled to record this week two quick video reviews, dual ones. Uh, Bad Genius, finally, we're getting to Ryan's pick of this uh, movie from Thailand on Netflix. That's all we know about it. And then, uh, a little more familiar with this one, we're doing Bullet Train, uh, requested by Katie and OT, also on Netflix. It's going to be a, a Netflix kind of night. We're, Alex and I are going to double feature this. Just spend the night watching movies remotely, but together. It'll be exciting. That's right. Uh, and then, of course, Contrarians After Hours. That's the spin-off show where we tell you about other things that we're watching, that we're reading, that we're listening to or thinking about. Alex, what are you bringing to Contrarians After Hours this time? I haven't seen it yet, but by the time we record After Hours, I will have seen the new Jennifer Lawrence comedy, No Hard Feelings, which I believe you saw over the weekend. So I did. I would like to discuss that. Yeah, it was a, a delightful double feature. I watched uh, Asteroid City and No Hard Feelings. They go together like a wink and a smile. How was Asteroid City? Just surface level. High end Wes Anderson or middle ground? How, it, are, how are you sitting on it? I think it's my favorite Wes Anderson movie. My God. <laughs> All right. Well. <laughs> I'm not saying that just to get you riled up. I, I am 100% serious. It's the first time. It's the first time that I felt like I wanted to rewatch a Wes Anderson movie right away. Damn. I know. It's delightful. Uh, but yeah, but we'll talk about uh, No Hard Feelings. I, I look forward to that conversation. Hell yeah. Uh, on my end, Alex, uh, I have only the one topic, but it's, it's, a, it's a hefty one. I sent you a picture of my Age of Apocalypse omnibus that I ordered a couple months ago. And... Uh, mm -hmm. I got through it. I, I read the whole thing, and I, I just got to tell you about it. You're an X-Men fan. You've read X-Men comics, so I feel like I can go a little in-depth with uh, what this was, why it was such a special event, why it meant so much to me back in the 90s when it was first published, and now that I finally read the whole thing uh, beginning to end, and how it holds up, if it holds up, what works, what doesn't work anymore, if it ever did. Uh, it's probably, at least in my mind, is one of the most successful, if not the most successful crossover, this big mega crossover that that uh, they did 
at Marvel. So, yeah, I really want to tell you about it. Uh, I might even post some photos on the other Patreon feed of the of the cooler stuff. But uh, Age of Apocalypse, and and if you don't know the X Men, don't worry. I will I will break it down to where it's accessible for everybody. And no hard feelings. And maybe I'll tease Alex about Asteroid City a little bit more. But that that'll be on your after hours this time, along with everything else that we mentioned. If any of it sounds interesting, check out our Patreon page, patreon.com slash Contrarian Prime. Look at our tiers and see if you would like to join the Contrarian Supplements. $1, $3, $5, and $10. Those are our tiers, our respective tiers. Kind of already gave the rundown of everything you can find there, uh, just from past projects and what you can expect in the future. To all of our current existing patrons, we love you all dearly. We love that you love us, and we will continue to demonstrate that love in the material and uh, content that we provide you. Uh, if you are not currently a patron, I highly encourage you do so. I say, hey, just give us one dollar. Can't even get a soda for that cheap anymore. So give us a dollar. Take a look around on our patron page. See what you like. Uh, tell us what you want more of. Uh, as I like to say, we are always accepting and reviewing applications for new patrons, and they are typically accepted in in quick prompt fashion all right julio so the reason for this the reason for this season is our patrons jordan mance former guest of the podcast friend of ours brought to the table color out of space you fucking cocksucker you cocksucker you cocksucker So we definitely want to know how he feels about it. But before we get there, 86% of Rotten Tomatoes, meaning it wasn't universal acclaim. So who was talking guff and what were they saying? <laughs> there was some dissent among the Rotten Tomatoes ranks. So here's some green splotches from Rotten Tomatoes critics, starting with William Hobson from Film Inquiry, who says Richard Stanley's Color Out of Space ultimately ends up stuck in a losing battle, struggling to fully embody the perfectly old-fashioned B-movie body horror flick it tries so hard to be. Did you get B-movie body horror flick vibes from this movie? Yes. <laughs> as, <laughs> as listed, as cataloged in Contrarian's Corner. The thing, the blob, the mist, the ruins, the fog. You didn't say the fog, but at this point, might as that, well. That counts. Poltergeist. Well, poltergeist isn't body horror necessarily, but there's there's that one scene where the guy's looking at himself in the mirror and starts scratching his skin off. Yeah, that's true. All right, we, we get your point, Mister Hobson. We get your point, but we shall move along to Charles Kaplinsky from Real Talk with Chuck and Pam. <laughs> uh, in the end, though, there's just not enough batshit Nicolas Cage moments to make this one worth your while. Alex, do you ever go see a movie just because you want to see Nicolas Cage be crazy? No, I own Snake Eyes. <laughs> but even then... And I, I'm sorry, I own Face Off, too. I, I always go to Snake Eyes. I love Snake Eyes. I just feel like that movie, uh, De Palma and Cage don't get enough credit for that. But Face Off is obviously like a go-to one. And I don't know. What else do people watch for crazy Nicolas Cage? Uh, bringing Out the Dead is like artsy but crazy Nicolas Cage. You know, the Scorsese movie where he's a paramedic. Yeah. And I mean, he does go crazy in Leaving Las Vegas. That's just a bit of a different. <laughs> different. 
yeah. it's a darker path. Uh, well, of course, the bees, the bees. Uh, what's the name of that movie? Um, Wicker Man. Wicker Man. I was trying to think of like good movies where he's crazy. Oh, <laughs> well, but I, I guess the thing is, you could tell me, oh yeah, he goes full full cage in this one, and that doesn't mean that I'm gonna go see it. Yeah, yeah. You and I talk about that all the time. I mean, we there was a lengthy conversation and. Dolomite and my name is Dolomite. The idea of that is like, okay, is it a good movie? One of my favorite lines you ever had. Okay, does that make the script better? Or uh, <laughs> you had you used some line about that in regards to the uh, the lighthouse, which I have I just adored. Um, the the line he had, not the movie. And that's you're exactly right. I can see the memes. You know, I'm not gonna go sit in the theater to watch that just because it's oh he's crazy. Yeah. I think that when you think that the the Nicolas Cage memes are good enough to make a movie, that's when you end up with uh, whatever his last movie was, the unbearable weight of being Nicolas Cage. I, the one that mm-hmm. he did with uh, with Joel from The Last of Us. It's, it's not good. Pedro Pascal. Pedro Pascal. Yeah, you did, you did not like that movie. No, I did not. And I like Nicolas Cage. Ghost Rider. Ghost Rider I would do because he's crazy in that. But that's Both also because it's kind of a visually stimulating movie i'm sorry i didn't mean to cut you off i was he just pisses thinking fire in that movie in the second one it's true we've all been there <laughs> how how <laughs> have we gotten this far and not brought up left behind because he's not crazy in that right. really no that yeah. is that is sober cage he's cheating on his wife and he's still pretty calmed down that's polished actor nicholas cage yeah Respected Dolph Lundgren in the Expendables. <laughs> yeah, respected actor Nicholas Cage. <laughs> All right, uh, one more before we get to Jordan. Tim Cogshill from Film Week, KPCC NPR Los Angeles has Nicholas Cage goes flat out bananas in this movie. And yes, there's a certain amount of fun when that happens. But does it actually make for cinema? No, I don't think so, guys. This guy pulled his Corsese card. Is it cinema, Alex? Again, these people are all just speaking to the second half of the movie. Nicolas Cage is not crazy this whole movie. At the beginning, he's kind of like tame and respected actor Nicolas Cage. (laughs) Yes. Respected prepper Nicolas Cage. You know, you can have llamas without that meaning that you're batshit crazy. Or alpacas. Sorry. Okay. And now we get to... Jordan Mans, who uh, Jordan is one of those hipsters that doesn't give uh, star ratings on Letterbox. Ah, boo. He's too good to rate art. But he says he watched this February 6, 2020. And he says, this film is absolutely all over the place. I saw this with two other Mm -hmm. people, both of which didn't really enjoy the movie's content necessarily. But I had a great time and dug a little deeper into the commentary as the movie went on. Climate change, politics, environmental conservation, big business, take your pick. Colorado Space has a lot to say about a lot of things, based off what I interpreted. Different characters signify different groups of people within society, and their fates are reflective of the potential fate of humanity without serious consideration on how to deal with our changing climate and environment. If you're interested in watching this, I won't spoil anything. A lot gets added to this film with how I viewed it. I could be completely off of the filmmaker's intent, but either way, the film is an outstanding commentary to me i watched this at music box in chicago illinois and he watched it on february nice. 6 2020 so it was right before the world went to hell yeah right after it got released yeah in between the movie's release and uh covid <laughs> turning everything upside down well 
that's why movies are the way they are because someone like Jordan can watch this and take something completely that I'd never considered watching away from it. So good on you, brother. Yeah. I, I never, I didn't feel the environmental message like undercurrent. Like I can see it, I guess like he's brought it up and I can, I can see how, you know, we made fun of this in, in concerns corner, just uh, the kind of lackadaisical response to a meteorite <laughs> crashing on this farm and uh, the contamination of the water. I mean, there's no sense of urgency. There's it, It's not a priority to figure out the effect of that on uh, on the immediate environment that is Nicolas Cage's uh, farm. So I can see how that you can extrapolate it into a bigger criticism of humanity and our relationship with the environment. But I did not think about it at all while I was watching the movie. What was what was your main thought, Alex? Were you was it what you said in Cosmos Corner? Were you just basically picking out which movies influence which sequences? Yeah, pretty much. And I appreciated there were certain points where I just was blindsided, like the the mom and the son, the little boy uh, fusing together. Definitely didn't see that coming and becoming like you know the monster from the thing. Uh, but for the most part. It felt like a movie that was written day by day during filming. Like, it seems like they had like these bullet points that they wanted to hit in the movie. And Richard, what's his name? Who's the director? Stanley. Richard, Richard Stanley. He had like the idea of beginning, middle and end and these big moments that I want to hit. But. In regards to like character motivations, dialogue, uh, even the acting, it really just felt like each day was different. And maybe that's to give the movie like it, it was intentional to give a move the movie a manic feel. Uh, it's kind of all over the place, but what it definitely did not result in was me thinking there was any like bigger meaning to it or statement trying to be made. Um, it felt like a movie that wanted to be a B-level horror movie, like a body horror movie, like we were just talking about a few minutes ago, but convince you that it's intellectual and beyond that. And I saw through it. <laughs> you watch enough horror movies, they can't they can't get this past you. Yeah. You've seen it before. Poisoning everything. Changing everything. Into something like the world of Maybe Richard Stanley would have been like, look, if you read the Lovecraft story, which I haven't, and I guess you haven't either, uh, but maybe he thinks, okay, if you read the, the, the Lovecraft story and you come to see the movie adaptation, then you know that there are some things that we have to hit. So one of them is the the, the multiple alpaca monster. So we have to get there. <laughs> so we're going to, uh, or something similar, you know, I, I have a hard time believing that the original story features alpacas. That that's still that's there, it, such a weird element. Yeah, as I can tie everything to pro wrestling because that's you know it transcends life. It's also the most base level form of entertainment there is, um, short of like you know Hans Molman football in the groin. I mean that's <laughs> universal. But the reason I bring this up is exactly like you're right. I 
I would need to read this story to confirm this, but there are like the opening voiceover and closing voiceover. There feels like there's things about this that expect their audience to be familiar with the short story to begin with. And the analogy I would make at WrestleMania 34, AJ Styles wrestled Shinsuke Nakamura, and they had only had one other match prior to this, but it was in Japan and not for the WWE. And it, while it was an amazing match, this match they had in WWE, they wrestled with the idea that everyone had seen that match. So they kind of mm-hmm. understood the story going in. And then like the match was a fucking egg. It's two of the best wrestlers like of their generation, potentially of all time. And they had just this really meandering, just kind of mediocre match at WrestleMania because people watched it and didn't understand like the context of some of the things that were happening. And uh, I can't, specifically blame the color out of space for that but we come across that in movies all the time it's one of the biggest struggles we had with Watchmen is the idea of how do you make a movie based on something while paying homage and tribute to the original but then not alienating anyone coming in from the outside and a movie like this don't get me wrong the color out of space is not a movie that ever and I hope that Richard Stanley and co uh, and spectrum vision spectra vision, excuse me, the production company didn't think this was going to appeal to mainstream audiences, but it does kind of feel like you're supposed to know more than the movie tells you. And that is a fine balance of any form of art that is based on something or is a sequel or you know, attempting to pay tribute to it is finding a way to make everybody happy. And in this case, the biggest takeaway for this movie that I have is I am going to read that short story by H.P. Lovecraft because I want to see if any of what we're talking about right now is applicable. And also, because I think the story is interesting, but just this movie's not good. So that was a long way around what we were talking about. But uh, but I think yeah. it's 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 very likely that we're just missing uh, a way into the movie not having read the story. Mm -hmm. But I also think that this type of story probably works better in book form, like as a a novel, as a short story, because the idea... I think that you and I have about the same tolerance for for (laughs) stories, for movies that are focused on just the, the... like characters falling apart like there's not so much of a story it's just like oh you just see how they get progressively worse but there's not much of there's not a whole lot of plot happening right like that's what happens in this movie it's like oh the meteor falls on you know into their farm and then from then on it's just them slowly losing their minds until everything falls to pieces at the end everything is destroyed they don't survive and so i think it's kind of a this movie is a mood. It's a hashtag mood. <laughs> it's all. It's all. It has the pretty colors, and you can see this family slowly disintegrating. But I don't find it compelling as a story. And I, I'm trying to think of like one time where we've mentioned something similar. A little bit. I, I think we brought it up. I don't remember what the, the the movie we were talking about. I don't remember which one it was. But I think you brought it up. Um, Black Swan, which is a movie we both like, but there's a point in that mm-hmm. movie where you're like, all right, how much more of Natalie Portman losing her mind are we going to see? <laughs> and that's how I, I felt watching this, where I'm like, I get it. Everybody's being affected by the the meteorite. Nobody really seems to be taking any decisive action to move forward. To, to it, They're just, they're, they're victims for, yeah. for 
90 minutes or so, they're victims, and then eventually they succumb. So that is, I feel like that is a lot of, uh, like an hour and 50 minutes is too much of that. That's exactly, I looked it up to confirm because I thought it was the case. That's exactly how long Black Swan is too. And that, <laughs> that was my thing. It was like, all right, let's shave 20 minutes of this off. <laughs> and, and Black Swan has a lot more going on. So it has that going, right? It has the director. You don't say. <laughs> yes. <laughs> it has Mila Kunis. There's, there's relationships and there's Barbara injury. Hershey. Barbara Hershey. Yeah. Here, there's really not much whatever conflict or friction there is between the family it doesn't really play into anything because it's almost random when nicholas cage starts being an asshole to his to his kids uh, to his wife it it seems to come out almost out of nowhere right he's he's such a loving father at the beginning and then he just flips on a dime and it's like oh of course because it's a supernatural thing that's, that's affecting him but it would be more interesting if there was if you had seen the beginnings of that resentment earlier Right. And it's like, oh, he was never like this nice of a guy. And that's why this is just his true nature being revealed. But no, there, there's nothing, there's nothing of that. And so that's what makes it kind of hard for me to get through because I, I have a hard time caring. I, I, I felt bad for them, but I didn't really care about the story. But, but if you're reading their, their, if you're inside their heads, right, right, when reading a book, then I think that it, it can be a little more interesting. I, I don't know why I feel the need to bring this up, but it was the last time we talked about a vibe movie, you, you know, talked about something meandering and you're either with it or you're not it really to this extent and, and to this length was um, Licorice Pizza. Mm-hmm. And obviously the, there are two movies that are trying to do different things, but let's say for the sake of argument, Julio, that one of our listeners didn't like Licorice Pizza, but really likes Color Out of Space. And again, these are obviously two different types of films, but if we're putting them in the same category as like a vibe film, what would you say is more engaging to you about Licorice Pizza than this? Is it the characters are more relatable, the story? I mean, that story doesn't really move along at all. It's just, it just but crawls you, at but a you snail's have pace. those relationships in Licorice Pizza that that moved the story forward the the story as it is the movie in colorado space it's not based on relationships it's not based on characters it's just based on bad things happening to them uh licorice pizza may not have like a strong plot kind of moving forward but but you understand what's happening on every scene from the point of view of relationship right like this kid once impress this girl, this girl is conflicted about liking this kid, and and then everybody else around them has opinions about what's happening, and they have ideas about what should happen, and they they make things happen with actions. Like there's nothing. What's the the biggest thing that that any character here does? Right? It's like Nicholas Cage driving his wife to the hospital. I mean, that seems like kind of like an independent thought that makes him through. But then half the time, the things that they do is because they're under the influence of the meteor. So you can't even count as that being something that reveals their character. Uh, here's like the, the real, the way that you fix Colorado Space, or at least the way that you make me be a little more interested is if you tell the story from the point of view of the of the Ward character, because that guy is on the outside. And so he's always... He has a, 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 a an objective, and he has a very clear agenda, right? He he wants to investigate what's going on, and so he can be on the outside seeing these weird happenings take place. But he's still somebody that that drives the story forward, and he has feelings maybe for the daughter, uh, even if they're not romantic, right? He he just has a connection with this witch yeah. girl, and uh, maybe he he has some sort of kinship with uh, Tommy Chong, and that's why he also cares. I mean, that's. 
that's a more traditional way of telling it. And of course, I'm sure I haven't seen any other Richard Stanley movies. So maybe this is his thing. You know, he's like, I don't care about traditional storytelling. I don't care about moving the plot forward. I just want to show you stuff that's going to make you feel a certain way. But it's not about the plot. It's about how you feel when you see this mother and this son fused together or how you feel about Nicolas Cage shooting these alpacas or how do you feel about the pretty colors on the screen? And so, yeah, I I needed someone who's more eloquent than me to word that so that I can lead into my point. <laughs> I just found this movie boring. So boring. It, it moves so slow and really anything you learn about anybody in this movie is of no consequence by the time it ends. Yep. And... I will give him props. The mom and the son fusing together at least made me go, holy shit, didn't see that coming. But for the most part, I've seen this movie. My letterbox review I put in there is like, you've seen this movie many times before. And I mean, that was a joke in the the first half in Contrarian's Corner, but I stand by that. But more egregiously, because I, you know, I like slasher movies. All those steal from each other. And, you know, if you want to get down to it, what, there's like six movies, right? Right. At, at the end of the day. <laughs> so it can't harp on that. What's more offensive to me is we talk about this all the time. So you're, you're better off making a bad movie than something boring because then at least, you know, you can get some emotion out of me and I'll get fired up talking about it in some aspect. With this, I was just bored. I, I kept fighting, getting on my phone to check Twitter or Instagram or something. Uh, and I, I, you know, Jordan, I, I respect your dollars. So I did my work here. <laughs> I took my notes and I, I watched this movie, but I'm just saying in general that you, you, me and Eddie always talked about the death blow of any movie you screened is when you got on your phone or you had the, the hinkling to just get on your phone to see what's going on. And I, I combated that a lot through this and it, it had some flashes. Like when she cut her fingers off, it's like, Oh, is it, that's what this is going to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's going to be like the happening. Um, but Nope. That was that scene. And then everyone just kind of is a character from a different movie. And by the end, when all of that Windows screensaver shit's going on. <laughs> yeah, that's that, that, was, that is where I would tell you, you know, before then I could just tell you this is not for me. This is or maybe I'm not getting it. Uh, but that climax, the last 10, 15 minutes is just a mess. Time it stretches around it like when you're approaching a black hole right i mean i mean how long have we been sitting here how long has it been since that went out to the car it's just i don't know about you but i was just yelling and this please because <laughs> it makes you know, it, it's so ryan seacrest and knocked up no one in this town <laughs> has the balls to sit these fuckers down and say cut the shit there's no reason that we went through all that. And what I mean is uh, Nicholas Cage saying, Oh, my whole family's here for that guy to literally do a lap around the compound and then for them to really be there, you know, when everything's <laughs> falling apart, just fucking boom, give it to the people, man, hit him with it one time. There's nothing more frustrating than watching that in a movie of someone setting up for something and then doing a lap to kind of, you know, set up again for it. Mm-hmm. In this case, he literally does a lap, but you know, it's <laughs> But the thing is, you don't care about Ward. So that's another reason why it just it's just so flat. Like I don't, Yeah, I don't that's care. another reason why I want to fucking end. Yeah. It's 
And then he lives. <laughs> he somehow survives this fucking nuclear blast. You know, if I was if I cared more and did the research, I don't know how everything was incinerated around him because it wasn't a tornado because he was in a basement. <laughs> he was able to survive. Well, that wine protected him. And, you know, the, you know, like the blob, I know it eats cats and dogs and shit. So it's not something that's new, but there's no reason for the dog to die in this. And that's something, obviously, as I get older, I become more sensitive to there. There are movies where Halloween, Michael Myers kills a dog. It's to show that he's like ruthless and that, you know, <laughs> he he shows no remorse on it. What I'm trying to say, a perfect example was when Kane Hodder as Jason, and I know I've told this story in here before, I think it was seven, part seven. They had wrote that Jason was going to like kick a dog or stab a dog or, you know, throw a dog or something. And. Kane Hodder refused the guy who plays Jason for those I, I'm see I'm giving this movie shit for moving along as though like everyone knows what they're talking about and I'm oh yeah Kane Hodder he, he's like a famous the way a president is so anyway he just said no I wouldn't I'm not going to do that because Jason wouldn't do that why would Jason attack a dog and that for the most part in movies if you're going to kill an animal it needs to be to show like a thing of dis- especially a fucking dog or a cat despair or depravity or just pure evil in this case a dog being a good dog being a good boy tries to protect the family and gets eaten by the the color or whatever but what does that add what does that add at this point it's just noise it is because anything else that's happened to the humans is infinitely more interesting than a dog getting killed by it, it it's uh, up until that point mind you the cutting off the fingers and you know the everyone reacting to it differently it just it honestly becomes a mess to me at one point that is momentarily kind of saved by uh the insanity that it devolves into but even then they got the bacon on the skillet and they can't figure out how to cook it <laughs> they they're oh do we flip it now no well i'll i'll tell you the the one thing the moment it when it worked and i kind of referenced it in the first corner and that is i mean we keep bringing it up actually because it's when uh jolie richardson gets fused to her child i think it's a uh, visually it's shocking you're right i didn't see that coming and then like i said in the corner that's where it, it really feels like we're about to get something that is that's a character moment right you're gonna see nicholas cage have to decide do i put my wife out of her misery and that was the one moment where I'm like, all right, I'm interested. What's he going to do? And, uh, okay, he does it. He doesn't do it. Okay, whatever. You know, I think that I think it would have been really powerful if he had done it then. The fact that he didn't do it is not the problem. The problem is that he didn't do it. And then nothing in the movie that came after was interesting again. So it's like, what's the point? But at that point was also where I kind of started having a reading of the movie where I'm like, all right, maybe I have been selling this movie short and I've just really not been giving it the credit it deserves because for about five minutes before the movie completely went off the rails, I started thinking maybe it's not much like Jordan read it as a critique of how humanity handles or mishandles the environment. I read it. Uh, I started reading it as uh, sort of like an allegory for how a family can get destroyed by an outside force. And in this case, mm-hmm. I was thinking, you know, like the mom was sick, you know, and and that's yeah. So 
you can again something about the story that you could leverage, but they don't use at all. Yeah, it, it doesn't. It ends up being pointless because you know it's just a meteor that came. But but if you if you use it as symbolism of like there was this family, and then an outside force creates a crisis inside. And they all start falling apart because they were not prepared. I mean, you kind of joked about it in Constraints Corner too, like, "Oh, they're preppers," <laughs> but then this thing happens from outside, and it turns out that they're not they're not prepared for it. But if you see it as this sort of a, an extreme representation of how humans can be can fall apart when something that they have no control over hits them. Well, that is an interesting idea, and and I can even see how it justifies me just sitting there watching them lose themselves little by little, because there is there's a point that is being made, and that is that humanity is pretty fragile in the end. Your sanity is fragile, and yeah, here you're using the meteor as an excuse, but really, what it could be anything that you don't have control over. And man, when when I when that thought came to me, I'm like this. Okay, now this is compelling. That actually, I started like just reevaluating the movie that had come before, but then you get to the last thirty minutes, like the climax, and it's just it has nothing to do with that. It's just about special effects and the light and Tommy Chong talking about an alien, a creature from another world taking over. It's just it's all bullshit. So even if that was the 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 drive of the movie at some point, it gets completely lost. And it's it's so far off the mark by the end that now I'm like, no, maybe it wasn't at all. I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just projecting, <laughs> you know? Uh, but I'll give him props that there's, there's a little bit of a sequence there where it, it had my attention and then lost it again. Tommy Chong, I, I, there's not much to discuss here and I, I'd forgotten about it until you just mentioned his name again. Uh, not played for comedic effect, but it definitely feels like stunt casting. Yep. Um, on like obviously a lower level, it's not Tom Cruise and Tropic Thunder or anything like that, but it's it it just doesn't vibe with the rest of this movie because you can't have Nicolas Cage being the lead, the powerhouse, and then I don't want to say unknowns. I don't want to be disrespectful to Jolie Richardson, but you can't have a, just a smattering cast below that. And then, you know, the the kooky guy in the forest is Tommy Chong and not kind of like I, I you, you couldn't explain that to me and I don't roll my eyes at it. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes, it is. It's comedic casting. If you're casting Tommy Chong as stoner that lives in the woods, well, you, that that signals comedy to me. And this is not a comedy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And then when they do try to play it kind of se- well, they don't even try to play it serious with him. He's got a cat named G-Spot. The first thing he says, want a toke? Yep. You know, uh. <laughs> no, no disrespect to Tommy Chong. Just this wasn't in the cards. How about the rest of the cast? How do you feel about the family? Let's start with Cage because that's the, you know, we've talked about Nicholas Cage at least twice on this show. We did Face Off. We did uh, Left Behind. Two very different performances. And this has a little bit of both, I guess. Right. We get mm-hmm. Sober Cage at first and then we got Unhinged Cage in the second half. Would you say he's just well? He's doing what he was asked to do. I I I'd never know with Nicolas Cage, man, because he's such an eccentric <laughs> cat that you never. The guy could have told him to play it subtle the entire time. It's hard for me to wonder if his performance here is like kooky and fun, or if it's like really what was intended to be played like with sincerity. It's just the movie that surrounds it fails the performance, and Nicolas Cage is an Oscar winner. And despite, you know, he's made a lot of things that aren't good, he's also made a lot of things that are good. And we've seen 
how his wackiness, his eccentricity, mm-hmm. his intangibles, what have you, can really make a movie in certain situations. Here, it's like if you told Joe Pesci to be fucking, uh, you know, d- do what you did in Casino in uh, fucking Freaky Friday or something, you know, of... <laughs> Just trying to think of like <laughs> the most milk toes live action movie we've done recently, in the sense of like, all right, yeah, you know this guy's good at this, and he's going to give it to you, but you have to. The skill as a filmmaker is building something around that, and, and something that can accent that, or just filter that energy into like uh, a better product in the end overall. And here, it just feels like either. Cage went into business for himself and was like, all right, fuck this. I'm going to have some fun with this. Or, you know, Richard Stanley was just like, bigger, damn it. Come on. And didn't give the memo to anyone else. And I understand part of the color is that it affects everybody differently. But you can't have this guy standing on a trash can screaming to the heavens and then everyone else be, you know, like a field mouse, just kind of like me, 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 me. And maybe there's a universe where that works where some of the the, fan, the other family members get loud too and really like you know fight for their emotions and shit but the way it pl- it plays off here it becomes distracting and uh for me personally it went into the realm of just like comedy cuz i was like what mm-hmm. the fuck what what are you doing that's the problem at this point you're you're the the nicolas cage image is such that when he slips into that type of cage persona, yeah, it's the meme. Like we've been saying, and it's just funny. And it, if it's supposed to be shocking that that the dad starts losing his mind, that becomes aggressive and loud, well, you don't really get that effect with Nicolas Cage because it's, you're just like, oh, he's going all cage. It's it's not. It's lazy casting, I think, and it's a shame because I think he's really good at the beginning. I think that him and Jolie Richardson made me believe that they were a couple that were going through some tough times and that really care for each other and all that stuff man everything that that they do before the meteor comes <laughs> into the picture I, I bought that entire family and especially cage mm-hmm. and jolie richardson i think they were really good i don't know how you can still be interested in me you know i've always been a leg man <laughs> so if i have my legs cut off you still love me then and then after that it's just i mean he gets because he plays it the biggest of course he he kind of comes across as the biggest problem but yeah i i agree it it just becomes funny it's not it doesn't i don't think that that's what they were going for if they were going for for the comedic effect then then maybe they should have cut back on like the girl cutting herself and yeah you know all that other disturbing shit that happens agreed and, you know, uh, this is probably cynicism in me shining through. There has, because of the the internet and how pervasive memes are and shit, there is a, a section of the movie going public that just gets off on Nicolas Cage yelling and being wacky and shit. Mm-hmm. So there is the thread of an idea that something went into this of like, well, we have to have like the internet moment for this where Nicolas Cage yells or does some shit. Um, Imagine you cast Greg Kinnear as a dad in this movie. I mean... You just blew my mind, man. But can you imagine him going crazy at the end? That's 
that's a different that's something that you don't see i don't know that they could work maybe we'd still make you laugh because it's greg kinnear but i'm gonna blow your mind here okay greg kinnear and then nicholas cage plays ezra yes it's still a cage it. it's still a cage character but i think that it yes. fits better very small doses teaspoons as opposed to you know fucking heaping ladles that we got <laughs> at certain parts of this <laughs> greg kinnear man a very likable Greg Kinnear. Yes, that that's awesome. That's tremendous casting here because I can see him with the glasses and the hair and everything. That's that's the danger you run when Nick Cage is in the lead in your movie. If you're going to try to push it as something that like is art and needs to be taken seriously, which it worked. Jordan recommended this or he demanded this as a patron, and he obviously liked it. And 86% of Rotten Tomatoes. Uh, it looks like the audience score is 82%. And um, we're in the wrong, Alex. Yeah, we are the assholes. <laughs> well, they also say we're in the wrong about Howard the Duck, which I'm I'm fine being wrong <laughs> in that situation. I'll say one one other nice thing, and it's that um, I thought it looked cool. I mean, I I was watching it oh, on yeah. the big TV, and it was the the color out of space really seemed otherworldly, which I think it's something that they really had to nail, and they did. You know, it looks alien, and that part. I, even if it doesn't have a strong story supporting it, the visuals are are pretty pretty good. Like it's like you said, it, it's it's not a joke. You really could just have it playing in the background, and it's it can be breathtaking at, at times. Just how good it looks. Did bother you because you're more of a of a practical effects person. So did the all the digital trickery did it get to you at some point? The CG wore on me, like the bugs and the cat, and uh, especially because it looked like the exploding heads of like the creature the mom and the um alpaca monster those look to be practical so mm-hmm. just make a little bug dude make, <laughs> you know just make a little animatronic cat do the alien three just put a costume on a real cat and just be like here now run over here um but the, the actual like the glow and the shimmer and the flowers and the grass the way that changed color yeah it was cool it was kind of cool to watch and see unfold the before it became too much, but I, I I liked that, and I was being genuine in Contrarian's Corner. My favorite shot in the entire movie is when the sheriff and Ward come onto the property and they drive through the fog, and it kind of changes color as they're going through it until they get to the other side and it clears up. And one last thing I wanted to make comment of that was completely unnecessary because it wasn't earned. You mentioned and you were right about how if Nicholas Cage just killed the mom son monster mm-hmm. uh, it, in the beginning it would have seemed noble and they could have pivoted some interesting ideas of the story from there but when he finally comes around and shoots it because it's out of control and then he puts the gun to the son's head and the daddy and then you know he pulls the trigger it's like um the Zack snyder dawn of the dead has that part in it where mckay pfeiffer delivers that baby from his girlfriend that got bit do you know what i'm referencing and like they take the the swaddle of clothing or the blanket off or whatever, and it's a zombie. It's like, and then it just shows a gun getting put to its head, and then it cuts you know to a wide shot of the mall, and you hear it go, which is almost exactly what happens here. It's like, dog, why? <laughs> There's such a way that you can pull off any type of violence or you know death of young characters, even you know sometimes infants. 
that can be really effective, even if you make it super fucking brutal. Ain't no one ever going to forget that scene in Train Spotting, man. Oh yeah. <laughs> uh, but when but when you do something like this, it's just like that's so just cheap. It's what we talk about usually in movies where the dog gets killed. It's like that's such a cheap way to manipulate emotions of the viewer, and something like this is not earned. And I, I was uh, offended is way too dramatic of a word, but I was really annoyed with with that part of the movie. Well, especially because it doesn't even show any repercussions. It's not like okay, we did this so that you can see. Nicholas Cage reel from that decision later on. Like, no, he just kills him. Then he moves on to the next, uh, exactly. next scene. He shoots his little, his youngest child in the head with a shotgun. And then, Oh, time to be goofy now. Whoa, <laughs> Nicholas Cage. <laughs> All right. Well, I honestly, I don't know why, but I, I didn't expect this real talk to be as negative as it's been. <laughs> You you got hey, me riled up, Alex. <laughs> we said some nice things. We, we did. We did. I I think I feel like my score might not. People are gonna be like, "Oh, really?" Because it didn't sound like that. <laughs> I think my final thought here, as we move into our scores, and I think our longtime listeners will kind of understand what I mean by this, is that I wouldn't label this movie bad. I would label it a mess, and those are two different things. And I just think this movie had a lot of intention and uh, good intention, obviously. And I don't traditionally people don't set out to make bad movies. So I think there's a lot of good intention here and some interesting ideas. It's just when they got to the fucking show, when they got to the rodeo, it just things started getting thrown all different kinds of ways. And the end product we got was just kind of like, mm, all right, well, uh, time to go eat. You know, that type of thing. <laughs> so for myself, I ended up giving it two and a half stars on Letterbox. I'm going to translate that to just a dead center C. And I know it sounded like I'd be more fired up with my, my uh, letter grade. There are some good things in it. It's just what you said. You and I both, we started pulling on the thread on the sweater and it just before we knew it. <laughs> It was unraveled and on the floor. So C for me, Julio, the color out of space. Where is it falling on the, the Oliveira scale? I'm going to give it two stars. It it benefits a little bit from being the next movie that I watched after watching three bad Lindsay Lohan movies in a row. <laughs> and I do like the that moment that, you know, that sequence of like, I don't know, five, ten minutes were it looks like we're dealing with characters that are having a serious problem in their hands, which is that two of them, two of members of their family are fused together and there's no way they're going to survive. So they have to decide what to do and what that led me to think about how to interpret the movie. There was a moment where I was, I was thinking, okay, this, this might end up being, depending on how they stick the landing, you know, depending on whether they stick landing or not, like this could be a four star movie. Like that's how, how, hyped i got for for a brief period of time about it but no it then it that's hilarious you say that because lillian my sister watched this with me and she said this she said it's going to depend on the ending we were talking <laughs> yep. about because we kind of checked in where i was like this is pretty boring and she's like well if they nail this landing i think it could really turn everything around it could have and they didn't yeah but yeah. no it, it was the other way around that the ending made it worse and i think that there's there's an audience for this movie you know, there are people that cool visuals carry them 
much farther than they do me and the mm-hmm. the, the the wild kills and the wild uh, stuff that happens in this movie also just is enough for people to really enjoy it and and come back to it like i don't know why i would watch this movie again but i know people that think highly of it i mean and yeah that that run tomato score i mean as much as we don't care for the run tomato scores it does say something you know that it's, yeah. that it's that high so i'm i'm fine with being in the minority uh, and i it's not like i am completely baffled by why people like this movie it's just that it's very much not for me and i i can point out exactly why it isn't for me why it doesn't work and how i wish it was better so yeah two stars the dreamy dream alone is just a dream the dreamy dream together is reality all right there you have it that was color out of space listeners be sure to let us know how you feel about the color out of space julio what follows what is on deck next coming up next the patron takeover continues with another left turn into a genre that has nothing to do with uh, lovecraft nightmares this is a very down-to-earth action thriller i guess it's uh invasion usa a chuck norris vehicle requested slash demanded by john amenta from the pint this is uh I don't know if it qualifies as an inside joke, Alex, but a while ago, listeners might remember that uh, John had me over on his show to talk about a Chuck Norris movie that was really bad. Uh, I think it's called The Octagon. And uh, the movie was terrible. And uh, and I said so many times. And now that John had a chance to decide what we would cover, he threw another Chuck Norris movie. It He threw it at me and you got hit also. You were there. You were in the path of destruction. So, so yeah, we're doing a Chuck Norris movie. Is this Chuck's official entry into Contrarian's canon? I think so. It would have to be. Right? We haven't done Dutchball, which would be the only other way that he would have made it. We could have done Sidekicks. But we didn't. Sensitive ass. <laughs> Invasion USA, 19% on Rotten Tomatoes. So... We'll be hyping that motherfucker up. I can say nice things about Chuck Norris. I talk about memes. Uh, I'm sure you, I mean, you're a Marvel fan, so you have to be able to talk about memes. <laughs> All right. Well, Invasion USA coming up next. Watch it. I'm sure it's on Tubi. That sounds like a Tubi movie. And uh, <laughs> if it isn't, you can probably find the VHS for a dollar at your. <laughs> it's, on, it's on Tubi. Yes. The, and the, Pluto yeah. TV. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, so check out Invasion USA and then tune in to hear us say really nice things about Chuck Norris. Get us out of here, Alex. All right, time to close out with our perennial plugs. We start off by giving thanks to the festive years. They provide our opening and closing tracks. They kick us off with Last Stand, take us home with Summer of 99. Be sure to head over to thefestiveyears.com for any and all festive years needs. Our friend and fellow podcaster, Hans Rothgieser, is the man behind our logo and also behind all the graphics on our webpage, our patron page, our merch page. That little tomato looking at himself in the mirror, that's Hans's handiwork. If you like his work, tell him. He's on Twitter, at Mildemonios, M-I-L-D-E-M-O-N-I-O-S, or you can email him, mildemonios at hotmail.com, or you can check out his website, mildemonios.pe. That's where he lists all his other work. He's written a whole bunch of novels, mostly fantasy, a lot of zombie stuff there. And he has two podcasts, Nación Combi, which is about Peruvian current affairs, and Marginal, which is about economy. Hans, thank you for all your support. 
Shout out to the boys at LateNightGrin.com, our friends in the world of professional wrestling podcasting. They uh, are kind enough every month to have me on for their Grin Grappler special. I'll be recording with them tomorrow, which in real time is going to be June 27th, to discuss the interesting career of one Lex Luger, the total package. But uh, Joe, Oracle, Rob, Matt, friends over there, they are always so kind to support and allow me to plug our show on a platform that you know you wouldn't typically think of so we like to do the same for them here so check out latenightgrin.com if you're into the world of professional wrestling and we'll talk about movies and shit sometimes too and we want to especially thank our social media czars our team of Corey Ari and Zoe Perez who have done so much work for us over the years and so much help in curating our social media game and making it real pretty, real presentable for the masses. Facebook.com slash Contrarian Prime Instagram at Contrarian Prime YouTube.com slash at Contrarian Prime. Our Twitter account is of course in our bumper. Be sure to check them all out. Follow us anywhere you can. Uh, The work that's provided there uh, by Corey and Zoe is been uh, monumentally appreciated by myself and Julio and continues to be. Uh, so, Corey, you've been killing it with those videos. Keep up the good work, brother. Uh, but we thank you all for the the work you do for us and the help you've given us over the years. And uh, as always, we thank you, the listening public, for the support you give us and have given us. But that's going to do it for Color Out of Space. That's going to do it for Nicolas Cage. That's going to do it for myself and Julio. That's going to do it for this episode of The Contrarians, where we're right and you're wrong, and we will catch you next time.